1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've been waiting for you.
2: To this latest episode of Black Hole Cinema. Today it's. EastEnders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's EastEnders special. EastEnders versus the Terminator, which would be. I'd watch that, actually, um, if he came and slaughtered all of them in Albert Square. No, this is a Terminator special, um, marking the release of Terminator Genesis. Genesis, if you technically want to pronounce it. Which-
3: Je- Jenny, size. Jenny Size Jenny Size in its yes.
2: stupid title. Um, it's that thing said... that
3: guys do with other guys in the shower.
2: <laughs> well, I would not know much about that, but obviously you're quite an expert. With me tonight, I am of course Tony Black of Black Hole Cinema, and with me tonight is my esteemed guest Mr. Lee Crimes. Hello.
3: Hello. Very That's nice. all, all the intro you're getting. Hello. I, I didn't have anything like pre-prepared or witty to say, so hello. Well, let's how, let's... how, how are you?
2: Yes, we're going to be, uh, aside from making really bad jokes and being very camp, we're going to be mm-hmm. discussing the Terminator films tonight, obviously, in honour of Terminator Genesis, and we're going to go through the entire catalogue. So we're talking The Terminator, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. This isn't very good Arnie, is it? But I'm just Terminator 4, Salvation. <laughs> Salvation.
3: The one that we don't talk about. <laughs> no, what's that? Where was that going? Where was that accent going? <laughs> I don't
2: know. That was even worse than mine.
3: <laughs> I was doing a really good one earlier when I was just doing it, talking about um, explaining the film to my girlfriend after I'd seen it and doing my zaragana, but That's it was coming out really nicely, and then that just went a bit Caribbean just then. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, yeah,
2: I was going the same way. It's fine. Yeah and then of course we're going we're gonna to do the box office as well. Um, I'm going to do my latest director's corner and we'll talk a bit about who we're dealing with later but and then we're going to finish with Terminator Genesis so the uh, let's the best place to start is to go right back to the beginning to go back to 1984 to where this all started with James Cameron's The Terminator
0: in this city under cover of darkness someone is stalking Sarah Connor Sarah Connor yes Sarah Connor 35 brutally shot to death in her home you're dead honey what's this dead girl too Sarah Louise Connor is this right of course we'll have more on this late-breaking story as it comes in she doesn't know why. But it's her he's after. Did you reach the next girl yet? No, I didn't get any answer Michelle. Pick up if you're there. I'm really scared. I think that there's somebody after me. And no one can help her. Except for one man.
3: <laughs>
2: Is that the 80s stylings of, of Sarah Connor's music?
3: It might be. I was I've seen so many things these days that recreate the visual and tonal aesthetic of that particular bit of the mid-80s when it's all kind of, you know, neon lettering and swishy cars and sort of sports cars in sort of smoky alleyways and that kind of thing. Obviously, a lot of people culturally owe a big debt to that uh, particular era at the moment.
2: Well, that's very true. We We seem to be in a retro phase because the Terminator itself is arguably one of the seminal 1980s movies, given it began... Uh, franchise that obviously is still running. It's uh, set in 1984, filmed in 1984, and it was the first film that really put James Cameron on the map as a major directorial talent. And in many ways, Arnold Schwarzenegger as you know Arnie in his signature role of a cyborg assassin who sent back in time from the year 2029 from a post-apocalyptic wasteland in which a evil computer program called Skynet has basically destroyed the entire human race or most of the human race and the world is now a dark future wasteland ruled by machines and there is of course one way this can all change because in the future there is a resistance movement led by a man called John Connor who is effectively like a Jesus Christ figure who forms a resistance to fight the machines and so knowing they're about to lose Skynet sends back a cyborg assassin in human form the year 1984 to kill John Connor's mother so creating a temporal paradox in time in which the man who saves the human race in the future or is about to save the human race in the future will never be born and this of course is the the template of the first movie in which we don't know anything about the future world because obviously in later films Skynet and the future 2029 is much much more explored and in you know the associated TV series but right at the beginning we don't know anything about it and it's fair to say that it's a very lo-fi kind of very different kind of film to the rest isn't it lee
3: it's massively low budget which is the main thing it's mm. it's a very visually cyberpunky kind of film it's all sort of suspicious um torch beams sweeping across um the urban la the sort of downtown la wasteland area which is why it was such a visually iconic thing that carried on into the second movie. There's lots of parallels between the wasteland that Kyle's running around in at the start, being hunted by searchlights and machines, to when he's directly just jumped back to 1984 and being hunted through some shopping malls and down some grimy alleyways by some cops. It's all very deliberately shot on stage to make it seem like he's gone from just one battleground to another one with the the only difference being that the people coming after him are actual people rather than sort of 20 foot tall chrome-plated tanks with lasers, which is, you know, <laughs> does improve his odds slightly once he's sort of stolen the pants off the naked... Um, uh, but no, he's stolen the pants off the homeless guy out in the middle mm. of the street. And then, and then the cool um, Russian Army soldier t-shirt thing that he wears for most of the film. How they try to play a lot of the film, you know, the nightclub that Sarah goes to hide in, the way that the punks look at the start, the Arnie first encounters, the whole thing's very much tied to the era that it, it happens in, and that's one of the things that like all good horror makes it so... Relatable to a lot of audiences Because even though it's involving two people from the future It's something that's happening now And could be happening in the here and now
2: Well I think that's what's interesting You describe it as horror there And I think there's, there's a good case for that Because it's a very it's quite a brutal, quite nihilistic film the, ter- the first Terminator, as is the second one But in a different sense And you really do, it really does feel quite horrific in many places it's, Even though it's ostensibly a thriller it's, it's oddly enough, I don't know if you think this, but it's oddly enough, not particularly science fiction in many ways, is it really? Because even though, obviously, you, you've got this, this future sci-fi element, it, it feels very much just like a very stark, lo-fi, quite terrifying, horrific chase thriller, doesn't it?
3: It's a slasher movie, is the best thing. Uh, Sarah Connor is is like an archetypal final girl in in many ways, even in the small cast that we've got. Apart from the scenes at the beginning, or Kyle's very brief flashbacks to the war zone of the future, and then towards the end when Arnie's Terminator starts to get some battle damage, but then definitely after the tanker explosion, when the actual endoskeleton's chunking around, is when it starts to become a bit more overtly sci-fi. But even at that point, Mm. the endoskeleton's just a big, relentless killer, just... Who who can't stop until he's killed them, just coming after them with a only a single purpose in mind. That kind of thing is the very essence that hasn't changed from you know Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger or any other uh, thing that you might care to mention. That's why I think the ter- the first Terminator in particular is much more overtly a horror movie than it is anything else.
2: I think that's very true, and I think one of the reasons that I. I don't think it's the best Terminator film, but I think it's very, very close to to, to T2 in terms of being brilliant. I think it's still a a fantastic movie. I think it's one of the best movies of the 80s. Every time I watch it, I I just feel it's got the most pure... It's the most pure form of this very idea, really. I mean, obviously, as with everything, sequels always expand on things, and the whole mythology and world of Terminator has grown, but I think when you boil it down, it is really the first film is what it is about the whole thing it is it is about this predestination paradox it is about this you know this relentlessness and and this this was the film that of course coined all the a lot of the well-known lines not just Arnie, you know with his very sparse dialogue like i'll be back and things like that although was it t1 where he says i'll be back or was that t2
3: yeah it's t1 just before he comes back and starts shooting at the police station which is where we we the audience encounter um Dr. Silberman's there for a bit, and also Lance Henriksen, who was originally, as we know, slated to be the Terminator before Cameron's encounter with Schwarzenegger made him rethink his approach to how a killing machine from the future would look. Kind of like how footage exists from Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz as Martin McFly before he fell out and they reshot it. It'd be fascinating to see, I don't think they ever got as far as shooting anything with Lance Henriksen as the Terminator. He's looked like he's 50 years old for at least the last sort of 40 years now, so it'd be quite (laughs) interesting to see how him as the terminator would have worked you could argue that arnie's limited acting skills helped him nail the robotic nature that was needed a bit better than someone who was perhaps more used to very nuanced acting but mm, you know we'll never know on that one
2: well i think i think there's probably something to that really i mean you know you could say they're not necessarily i mean robert patrick when he was the the killer in t2 he's a good he's quite a good actor but he was he managed to have that robotic sense of relentlessness about him. But no, you, the Arnie thing—it just—it makes it's what made I think it, it, there's a big proportion of well that's what made Terminator so so iconic straight away, you know. And it's like I say though, it's, it's about certain of the of the the pop culture moments and lines that have stuck from the first film, like the like Kyle Reese saying "Come with me if you want to live" to Sarah Connor. You know, it's just it's those pure kind of lines and, and that chilly moment where he says this—it it, it doesn't it doesn't have pity or fear or remorse and it will not stop absolutely until you are dead and that is just there's something just terrifying in the way he says that because it is just final there is no there is n- at, you, at that moment you, you you know that this is something that will never stop and it is yeah, that, that's just brilliant I think so.
3: Yeah, it's it's the classic things that carry over into a lot of supernatural slasher movies where you've Halloween style, you've got this relentless thing that's only all it wants to do is kill you, and it doesn't care how it does it or when it does it. But at some point, it's going to. It's been tapped into with that that um. Indie horror movie, it follows which everyone is mm. raving about at the moment. That runs across a similar idea that there's something coming after you, and sooner or later it's going to catch up with you and kill you. And all you are doing is just delaying the inevitable. In that case, yeah. the whole of the Terminator movies dark anyway. It's sort of shot mostly at night. Mm. It's all the scenes are kind of flooded. That they're, they're almost they're not even flooded. they're the lights taken out of a lot of them, so that it, in a way that's to sort of hide the lack of practical effects or the Locations that were being used but in that in the music which is often very kind of weird atonal keyboard stabby noises Brad's score it, for this
2: is amazing I love the score for this it's
3: very atypical it's very Brilliant. kind of Planet of the Apes really mm. and yeah so the whole thing is built around this idea of creating this oppressive atmosphere where it's just these two people completely outmatched on the run from this thing mm. that we learn gradually very carefully learn more about as the film progresses but, you know, a lot of slasher movies... Where a lot of sl- slasher movies, especially in their sequels, go wrong is that they te- start to tell you too much about the protagonist and the yeah. silent killer and it takes a lot of the mystique about them. In this one, you already know from the start going in what this is. It, it's, it's a robot with human skin that's just coming after them and it's the, the lack of empathy that makes it so terrifying.
2: Mm. But you don't know much... That, that that's what I liked as well. In that you don't, re- yeah, okay, you see, like you know, twenty twenty nine when it's all gone, when the machines have won, but you don't really know much about beyond that. You don't know the to, compared to the level of we know now with the mythology and everything. I quite like the fact that you know a lot. We we don't know who John Connor is at that point. We don't know we don't know the name John Connor. Let's face it, you know she hasn't actually named him yet. It's just her son to be, and it's that whole thing of you know. I quite like that there is still an element of mystery about the whole thing and an element of. You know how this all happens, and obviously, T two it it deals with that brilliantly. We'll get onto later. You know, it it faz- it really changes what the whole texture of of the, the saga is. But I like I quite like the mystery.
3: Yeah, I think in a, in a lot of ways by leaving a, a chunk of it up to your imagination. It works really nicely in the fact that michael michael bine how do you pronounce his surname i've often wondered that is it it's, Bean think it is, Bine?
2: no i think it's Bine. i think it is
3: Bine. i always thought it was Bine. he's mr bean otherwise. yeah exactly <laughs> he's not the best actor bless him but he's sort of scrawny and desperate looking enough in this mm. to sort of convey a guy who's just seen the end of the world and has struggled to come to terms with it after that but also in the neat little Segways. I think there's there's one sequence where Kyle falls asleep in a car that he's just stolen. I think it's before he's met Sarah, and he has a flashback to going on the run with. I think he's yeah he's he's in a in a war zone in the future with this other resistance fighter, and she gets zapped by a hunter killer, and he before he goes running off to the base, and he wakes up and there's a big rototiller or some kind of construction thing moving past him in the background that's woken him up, mm. and it's it's a visual motif, motif that. Um, Battlestar Galactica eventually played into especially in its finale by kind of saying well yeah this is where we are now and if you think about it these horrible nightmarish massive killing machines in the future aren't too far there aren't too many steps along from this in the same way that you look at any child who grew up in the 80s looks at a car and imagines what kind of transform it might turn into it's a similar (laughs) thing with this It's, it's like well you don't really you know all the steps in between but you get enough information that if you've got the yeah. right kind of imagination you will just fill in all the gaps and build the mythology up for yourself you and i dare say a lot of the discussion and, and talk around that is what led to it expanding and developing in in certain ways over the uh, subsequent films
2: speaking of, of uh, kyle reese uh, obviously he was the resistance fighter sent back to to save sarah michael Byrne was chosen obviously but originally um sting was considered <laughs> for the role
3: yeah i don't think um, james cameron really had the best um pick of actors when he was initially going he definitely got lucky in his early films i think but there's a lot of questionable casting choices in his early films like i think james remar was down to play um hicks and aliens originally which would have I been a human. completely different um film yeah so there's a lot of s- switches back and forth but in this one it's it's the fact that you know, um Linda Hamilton, Michael Bryan and Schwarzenegger just nail those roles really nicely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rosanna R.T. That...
2: was also auditioned for Sarah as well.
3: Yeah, and you know, arguably she possibly wouldn't have done too bad with that. But mm. Sting's one of those guys who just knows the right people and gets himself in connections, but then he's just no. No. Well, just was, just not was, ever.
2: <laughs> well this was just this was coming off the back of June probably. Because June was the year before. And, was, and how
3: is that uh, an uh, advertisement to anybody for an acting well, career? I mean, well, come on! <laughs> yeah,
2: I know exactly. And this was probably the period where he's, you know, he's he's done with the police for a while. And he wants to go off and play. But yeah, it's um and the the other big casting thing with this, obviously, was OJ Simpson was seriously in the running for Terminator. For the Terminator, yes,
3: again, which I, I, do, do you know why? It's because all these people would have been cheap compared to getting an actual established actor in to do it. Because James Cameron didn't have no, no money to make this film. Arnie didn't need to get paid a lot for this first movie because he was, I think, by investing in in, uh, California real estate when he first moved to the States, he was a millionaire by the time he was 22. So he was all right for money. So consequently, he was able to save, be like a good imposing presence who was already starting to get a name for himself, but did not cost uh, Cameron a lot of money to cast him as a result
2: well there's two great things about this the one is that um, the studio had suggested OJ Simpson as, for the role of the Terminator but Cameron didn't feel that he'd become believable as a killer <laughs> which is hilarious when you love honk that honk. yeah and the other thing there's a quote by James Cameron on casting Schwarzenegger which is he says this he says casting Schwarzenegger as our Terminator on the other hand Shouldn't have worked. The guy's supposed to be an infiltration unit, and there's no way you wouldn't spot a Terminator in a crowd instantly if they looked like Arnold. It made no sense whatsoever. But the beauty of movies is that they don't have to be logical. They just have to have plausibility. If there's a visceral cinematic thing happening that the audience likes, they don't care if it goes against what's likely. There's a lot of truth in that, I think.
3: There is a lot of truth in that, and it plays to a great sense of, uh, of um, actual internal logic as well, because... To us as people, if we were designing an infiltration unit, we probably would have gone with Lance Henriksen or some, mm. some everyman-looking dude that you wouldn't look twice at. It's, it's like that line from the first Matrix movie that Mouse comes out with. How did the machines know what chicken tastes like? How, how does the machine know what a perfect infiltration unit looks like? It knows what a good soldier looks like, which is like a massive you know seven-foot-tall chrome-plated uh, killing machine and it thinks, alright, well, we've got to put some some skin over this, oh, it's come out looking like this after we spray tanned it, oh, that, that'll that do humans won't really notice, they all look the same yeah. to us anyway, ship with the time machine, off he goes so in a way, that, that's that been used in, in the other films a few times that the machine's understanding of logic and how they approach these things is one of their biggest weaknesses because they don't think like humans do and they never will, as smart as they are that's what ultimately leads to us being able to defeat them Did you know? you do know about the deleted cut scenes right at the end of the terminator that that were no, kind of brought back in, in terminator 2 there's a shot of just that it's it's after the film's ended and, and sarah's kind of being tended to in the uh ambulance outside the factory where she's been fighting the terminator that then fades into the bit on the desert and the there's a storm coming bit yeah as she's being wheeled out of the um of, of the factory a sign pans up that the camera sort of pans up and reveals the sign cyberdyne systems in big letters over the The factory, Ah. and there's another shot a second later of a guy finding like a bit of the chip and arm left from the squashed Terminator, kind of looking at them in a puzzled sort of way, that obviously was used and set up again in Terminator 2, and is a recurring thing that happens a lot in the comic books as well to keep the continuity going, which suggests, as we'll get to in the other films, this whole sense of the inevitability of events and the the causal loop of, you know, Kyle has to go back in time to father, John, so that he can get sent back in time you know, paradox of the whole thing so Cameron apparently cut those scenes because they, the quality of them wasn't quite enough and he felt that, like you said he kind of, the, the film ends quite ambiguously anyway, but it's just interesting to know that it was going to be a lot more overtly to kind of say, "Oh no, it's, we've accidentally just ensured that it all happens anyway."
2: Right, exactly. Which is a, which is a big point that go that happens in the later films, obviously, with about the old idea that maybe you know this this temporal loop is what causes Day in the first place. But it's a fixed point in time. It's a fixed point in time. Obviously, it took seven years then for a lot of backs back behind the scenes things to be worked out and for Cameron to actually make Terminator two after on the back of some big you know well one big success and one you know middling difficult one Uh, but then he went on to make terminator 2 judgment day
0: same make these were taken at the west highland police station 1984 you were there same model
2: these were taken today
0: You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Mom! Come with me if you want to live.
3: Terminator 2 is arguably and I'll punch anyone in the face over this one of the greatest sequels of all time it's uh, people who throw Godfather Part 2 out there are just yeah whatever, it's Empire Strikes (laughs) Back and Terminator 2, everybody knows
1: this
3: (laughs) the reason that Terminator 2 works is because it follows the best rules of a sequel to anything which is you take what worked in the original and you turn it up a notch and in this case we get exactly that we still get robot from the future has been sent back in time to kill an important person and you add that by throwing in your additional robot, the reprogrammed T-800 you've got an additional person to save now that you've got John and Sarah Connor you've got the increased threat of the robot coming back in the upgraded T-1000 and the whole thing, the set pieces in it from start to finish the the level of threat that's involved the fact that they up there, scale to try and take the the, the fight back to Cyberdyne and Skynet killing it before it's even born turns everything way past 11, even Cameron's now famed use of the orange and blue lighting effect that's just so prevalent throughout the entire film. I'm amazed it took me so many years to notice it. But in, in every sort of way, in terms of the humour, the scale of the set pieces, the expansion of the mythology, even the glimpses that we then see of the future to paint the, pe- the missing puzzle pieces that we didn't have before, Terminator 2 vastly improves on the original and also just makes for a massively influential and entertaining film in terms of you know pushing the boundaries in special effects as much as anything else so that you couldn't trip over something without hearing the phrase morphing being used as a mm-hmm. example of special effects and how it came to just define action movies of the 90s coming out when it did in its, in its scale and presence to the point that again it's still like a benchmark for how to just do a kick-ass sequel and improve on everything in every way later
2: yeah, and I, th- I think you'd be hard pushed to find anyone who, who disagreed with that. Really, I think Terminate- Terminator Two is a very different kind of film, really, than the first one. Even though it's you know it's got the same essential, it's got a very similar premise, obviously in the fact that again, Terminators are coming back in time to to stop one who now is John Connor having been born, and he's now a young man and a teenage tearaway who is struggling with the idea of his destiny, given he's, you know, Sarah Connor's obviously locked up in an, in an asylum. So everyone thinks she's crazy because she's had to go militant in order to try and stop Skynet. And then you've got John Connor, who's basically running away from his, from his destiny and he's, he's rebelling against it. And then, but arguably I think, and a lot of people have said this, the genius point, in fact, Mark Kermode said this recently when he was reviewing Genesis, the genius point about Terminator 2 is the fact that it flips Arnie and Arnie now becomes the hero terminator as opposed to the villain i mean that is just a stroke of fucking genius it really is
3: it's one of the things that works so well because by that point arnie's been in a bunch more films gotten a lot better at acting mm. and is able to handle the the subtlety of this very different character that he's playing he's still got the the essential robotic nature of being a machine down pat arguably better than he does in the later films when he, he's trying a bit too hard mm. to per- convincingly portray a machine but there's so many little recurring motifs like how in in the first movie the first time that um, Sarah encounters Reese at that nightclub just before the terminator attacks them both she isn't sure whether which one of them's there to kill her at first and i think the idea was that initially Cameron wanted to try and make it more ambiguous as to whether it was Reese or Arnie that had actually come back to kill her for the audience but then obviously you know the marketing was built so heavily around Arnie then you kind of knew that it was going to be him in this one again we, the audience, knew going in that Arnie was the hero, but that first time that John sees Arnie sort of taking the shotgun out of the, yeah. the box of roses and storming towards him, much as it's later seen again when Sarah sees Arnie emerging from the elevator in the asylum just mm. as she's trying to escape, it's it's that moment of of you can see the characters going, "Oh God, it's happening again!" or "This thing is coming here to kill me." And even though it's only like a little moment, it's it means it that works. we. Well, we take the flip with them of to kind of realising, oh, this thing that previously, an identical version of this thing tried to kill me, and now it's come back with slightly spikier hair, and it wants to be on my side. So, okay, where are we with that? Let's... It gives everyone in the film a lot more agency, for one thing. The fact that Sarah's yeah. doing a damned best to break out of the mental asylum from the very first scene that we meet us says, mm. says as much as anything else. John's no slouch either. You know, he's, he's capable enough for... Um, Ah, now this is the bit that always throws me. We're trying to work out John's age because he's given as being twelve, I think, which actually he's it, either like eleven or twelve. He's he's cast as which actually sets Terminator Two in about nineteen ninety four, ninety five.
2: Yeah. Well, it would it makes sense if he's about thirteen because if if I'm right, and this is something that they touch on in Genesis. 1997 was supposed to be the, the year of Judgment Day wasn't it and that's that's basically yeah. what I, I've always taken it that it's set in 1997 so he's about 13 12 or 13 yeah because if, if she would have given birth in 1985 technically so this is presumably set in 1997 um, although Wikipedia I have just checked Wikipedia says 95 and that he's 10 years old so um, yeah it,
3: it's a bit of a stretch I think he's meant to be like a very mature 10 years old because of the life he's lived to that point but um, it's still just a it's a little wiggle but you know it's it's one of those things that as the films do infuriatingly do sometimes it's never really obliquely referenced in the film you just kind of left to work out for yourself depending on how on how obsessive you become with the film like like I was watching it pretty much on a daily basis for several years when I was <laughs> younger
2: but I think that's the point though in that it, it, that that's the reaction it gave you you know it became an obsession for you I mean I, I watched it a lot when I was young as well and I I this was the film that really made me fall in love with the franchise. I think even more than the first Terminator. But it's like the mark of a really truly great film is when it does have you looking into it all and trying to look beyond it and figure things out and, and reevaluate it. And I think Terminator Two has that because it's just got much more of that sort of. Well, it's more epic for a start. You know, not just in in the scale of it, but also you know the set pieces it does. You know, such as the freeway chase, which is just one of the, still one of the best action sequences I've ever, that's ever been filmed, in my opinion.
3: The chase with the helicopter and the tanker, and then previously to that, the one with uh, down the storm drain, using LA landmarks um, as yeah. part of the you know visual language of the film. It's just that's just a brilliantly just crazy, chaotic sequence from start to finish, it's but it totally brilliant. works, and it—it's what sells to you completely and truly. Right, the T1000 is a much bigger threat that we had done with that we thought it's not just another arnie who's come back this is a thing that could potentially take out the the t800 and kill john and sarah without even blinking it if we give it well, a chance to
2: well this is the thing you know it's it's not just apart from the fact he's still got it's got that slightly philosophical sweep of you know questioning the the, the morality and questioning the you know the essential idea of, of judgment day and everything like that and making it much more of it there's much more there are visions in there in terms of Sarah seeing the end, and you know, there's mm. a lot more of that. But also, oh, I used to hate so that, that bit. That, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? But also the the, the fact of the T1000 and the effects. I mean, let let's let's remember that you know it was this and Jurassic Park, really, that that created modern cinematic effects in many respects, wasn't it? Because it was Jurassic Park had the dinosaurs years later, but it was this one with the with the morphing, with the the liquid form that's just inspired. Well, it, it created, it created ILM, it was just the beginning, wasn't it, really? This was the film that made everyone go, wow.
3: I think it was the first time we'd really seen what computers could really do in a film. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to arguably one of the first proper kind of summer tentpole blockbusters of the modern era, which was Tim Burton's first Batman movie in 89, there's a lot of what would be now CG moments in that that are either done uh, with practical effects and scale models, or actually animation. There's a couple of little shots that are actually animated and put directly into the, the film, sort of just, you know, the pen and paper way of doing things. Terminator 2 is the point at which they say, right, if you want to do something this bonkers, do as much of it as you can in practical, and for the, the only for the things that you can't do any other way, use CG. But if you're going to do it, make sure it's for something that, that you can't do as a practical effect. And yeah. That's that's one of the things that so many modern movies get wrong is that they rely on CG to do things that you can do uh, with practical effects. Even the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are a mix of the two, and that's why they feel so real. The moments when you know you're looking at a fully CG dinosaur, the moments in which the film feels slightly less real, when it is actually just a gigantic T Rex head pressing down on the top of a car and trying to eat people, you feel like that thing is going to actually eat you if it gets if, if it gets past the windshield and gets into the car.
2: This is it. I think this is why a lot of people responded enormously well to Mad Max: Fury Road this year because that does—that's exactly the same. It's old school, practical effects in the grit, in the mud, mixed with CGI, and it it's just—it just feels different. It feels more visceral. It feels more real, and that's exactly what T2 did, you know. And, and and you could feel it all the way. And even though, yeah, you know, Robert Patrick and the T1000 was this this liquid moving shape. It was that kind of thing. It still, it was still terrifying, and it was still, it, it just, it just worked, and it, it just blew you away. And, and it's one of those moments, like the dinosaurs, then the, like later, like Bullet Time with the Matrix, that made you go, mm. Jesus Christ! You know, it's these really iconic, seminal moments in, in in the development of the technology that now we take for granted, really. So it, it's one of those films, I think T two, that not just for the fact it's a great action movie and a great science fiction movie. It will, it will go down in history as really important because of the steps that James Cameron has taken, you know, with the effects and everything like that.
3: Yeah, and as much as people can argue against, you know, I suppose, non-hybro movies as being important or, or relevant, I think movies, when you're talking about movies that are influential and that, uh, that have to exist in order for other films to be inspired by them and take the lead from them and go on from there, Terminator 2 is 100% up there.
2: So yeah, Terminator 2 was, you know, a really important, influential film, and it's uh, it's it's for me, it's the apex of of, of the film so far, really. But we're going to take a quick break from Terminator now, and we're gonna we're gonna get back into the into the present day, um, uh, just to talk about the UK box office figures, uh, which is uh, a recurring thing. We're not having news, obviously, this week. We've we've skipped on news because you know we've got a lot to talk about with John and Ida. But uh, I thought we'd uh, we'd double into the box office, to so just go through the top ten. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if you, there's any of these that you've seen, Lee I think there's one or two
3: I tell you what, I'm very behind at the moment I'm appalled that I didn't get around to see Mad Max Because everyone was raving about it And I know I'm going to love it when I see it But I just, it just came out at a time when I was massively busy And I just couldn't get to the cinema to see it well, you, But it'll, it'll be out in some form by the, Before the end of the year for me to get So I'll just pick it up on Blu-ray soon as I can or you something.
2: Are definitely in for a treat Which is, yeah. you know, which is great the, uh, the current top ten, as it stands, at number ten is Slow West, the Michael Fassbender Western, which has actually been out for six weeks, which I, I didn't realise it's been out that long, and has made uh, 140,000 to date, which is very little. So I think that's kind of disappeared. You you haven't heard of this, I think, Lee, have you?
3: Not in the slightest. But it, you know, I don't hear of a lot of rem- remotely arty films these days. Or I do in passing and just think, ah, oh, well, I, I won't like that and move on. Well, yeah, and my, my seems... film tastes have never been particularly. Intellectual, you could say.
2: <laughs> well, it seems like most people have seem to have moved on. Well, in fairness, it has only been released in sixty nine cinemas, which is a little bit less. But anyway, at uh, number nine is San Andreas: The Rock versus uh, Nature, which has made um, in three weeks eleven million, which isn't too bad. It's not like a stomping great hit, but it's done pretty well um, for a
3: film that looked pretty bad. Then that's not that's not too uh, wow. too bad going, I guess.
2: I think it was a bit ropey, but uh, you know people enjoyed it, it's The Rock anyway, people who enjoy The Rock at number 8 is The Longest Ride which is a, in its third week has made 900, nearly a million it's a romantic drama a Nicholas Sparks novel, so you know what you're getting with that stuff
3: uh, is that the one I have keep seeing with the trailers where it's the guy who's like the rodeo rider yeah. or something, oh yeah that looks yeah
2: Clint, Clint Eastwood's son um, Scott Eastwood it turns out and um, Britt Robertson from Tomorrowland Uh, but who's a good actress actually and deserves to do quite well but she seems to be picking some duff things lately at number 7 is uh, in it's first week at the box office is Knock Knock which uh, was reviewed last week by Chris Byrne which is the new Keanu Reeves uh, horror thriller from Eli Roth which has made 250000 in it's first week so expect that to drop out the top 10, I don't think people particularly care about Eli Roth or Keanu Reeves anymore so um, I completely
3: missed John Wick, and apparently that was quite good. Uh, I, I never heard about it.
2: I didn't see John Wick yet either, actually. And I, I heard it was it was pretty decent, but I don't think it did massively well either. So, although it did, it did well, I think it did better in America because it's getting a sequel, um, but it, it didn't make the impact of Taken, for instance. I don't think Keanu Reeves is going to quite come back as a Liam Neeson action guy in quite the same way. Uh, number six is Entourage, which is in its uh, in its fourth week at uh, at number six. With uh, 1.2 million, um, it's made now. To be fair, that's that's not much at all, you know. I mean, considering Entourage's, it, it used to be a TV show. I think it's a combination of things. This is. I don't know if you saw the Mark Kermode rant um, about this, but it, it, it went quite viral. It got more views actually than most of his reviews do because he he basically it's, he, he basically called it worse than Sex in the City too.
3: And that's that, that's pretty bad cuz Sex in the City 1 was was pretty diabolical.
2: Well, a- anyone who follows Kermode knows that Sex in the City 2 is basically his idea of hell on earth. So, I mean, to to say this is more morally repre- reprehensible and hor- hor- horrid than that film is is going some. So, it I've never
3: really bothered to watch on Siraj. It looks like the kind of show that thinks it's a lot cleverer and smarter and funnier than it actually is, but he's actually just a program about five dickheads.
2: Yeah, I, I I suspect that, yeah, that's pretty true. At number five is The Empire Strikes Back, which, of course, is thanks to The Secret Cinema, which you and I had the privilege of going mm. to see. Um, we can't really talk about it, because, The Secret Cinema anyway, because we did sign confidentiality agreements, but uh, it was awesome, and The Empire Strikes Back is awesome, as we've earlier said in this podcast. So, At number four is Mr. Holmes, which is the um, Ian McKellen as Sherlock Holmes um, film, and it's... Uh, first week of release, which has made 1.6 million. Uh, well, nearly 1.7 million. So that's not bad really, considering it's a very quiet, you know, middle class film. So It's very, very, actually a very lovely film as well. I do recommend that. Um,
3: I know. I wanted to see it. I haven't got around to it yet and I have a feeling it's going to disappear before I get a chance to but it did look like a lot of fun.
2: Possibly. It is. It's very nice. It's And he's, he's fantastic as Sherlock. It, it's lovely. And number three is Spy which is still uh, hanging on in there in its third week, um, which has made... 8.6 uh, million Spy actually hasn't done <clears throat> as well as I thought it would It's still been hovering around the top But all the money in the last few weeks Has been eaten up by Jurassic World As we'll see in a minute so, considering... is, is that because it's completely
3: awful? Because no, it certainly no. looked like it was completely
2: awful Well not at all and that's the surprising thing Spy's actually much much better than I thought it would be It was, it was a lot of fun Mainly because Jason Statham is brilliant At sending himself up throughout that film it's actually really quite good Yeah, so it's a bit of a shame that it hasn't really done it's done well but it hasn't done amazingly well but it'll have done well for a sequel So, and number two uh, unseated surprisingly although I'm not surprised by what's unseated it but um, it it, is Jurassic World which is made in what is about three weeks it says one week on here but that's not quite the case it's made nearly £50 million in England. I mean, that is just ridiculous. That Avengers didn't make £50 million in in three weeks. You know, it, it, it's remarkable.
3: The problem it's is, I, it's it, it's it's a very similar problem to the fact that you can't compare the points that Formula One drivers um, accrue now to how the drivers used to do it, because now you get 25 points for a win where you used to get 9 or 10. Yeah. You can't really sort of say oh this film's smashing all these records and doing this yeah it's because going to the cinema can cost you up to £15 a ticket these days which exactly. it didn't like you know as recently as 10 years ago mm. so the amount of money that these films are making is all it is is the fact that cinema prices have gone up and the marketing spends on these things have reached titanic levels yeah. That that's the only way for films to be considered a success It's the, it's the same in every kind of form of media at the moment music, video games all these other sorts of things they consider these things failures if they don't hit these massive arbitrary targets. But the only way they're able to do that is by inflating the price point for them, which then we, the punters, have to shell out to watch or become pirates.
2: Well, it's why as well I, I now make a concerted effort that... Well, I hate 3D anyway. I, like, I really like IMAX, but unfortunately... You've got to really you've got to really go far and wide now to find an IMAX that is just IMAX and not IMAX 3D because they've realized that no one was going yeah. to see 3D so they've badged IMAX and 3D together so people will have to go to, and if they want IMAX they've got to go and see 3D so it's it's incredibly annoying and it means that now I don't see IMAX for most films I because there's no IMAX sole IMAX in the mes, in the West Midlands oh, well I, I now make the point that I would have gone and seen Jurassic world in IMAX. But I went to see... I would have gone and seen Terminator Genesis in IMAX, but I didn't. I went to see it in 2D, because I refused to pay through the nose, and I refused to have to watch IMAX with 3D, when I think 3D is fucking awful. So, you know.
3: I suffer with it because I wear glasses, and I maintain that I do not get the correct 3D visual experience because of that. I don't see a massive amount of difference in a lot of the things I watch, other than getting a slight motion headache. The only thing I found three d really works well in is animated movies because the the massive amounts of color that those produce compared to movies shot in the real world um helps create the depth of field that three d is trying to trick your eyes into seeing yeah the point is is yeah, well, they the point don't. is that it's it's all unfair.
2: Speaking of um, animated films, though, the one that knocked Jurassic World off the top spot was Minions, which is made uh, in one week actually twelve million. So that was always going to happen, though, because Minions is basically a big cash cow, as Emma described last week um, when it was reviewed. It's the the general response to it has been very very lukewarm, in that it's basically just you know all the good bits are in the trailer, and it, it's it's a, a joke that a, a ten fifteen minute joke that's been stretched out into a movie. And it's basically a marketing cash cow machine, which is true because you you look anywhere. I mean, I was walking past a um, uh, a suit. I was in a supermarket at Sainsbury's, I think it was earlier today, and I just looked to the right, and there's about four Minions T-shirts for adults, you know. So it, it's it's not it's it's just a machine.
3: The thing about films like that is, and it's a problem that a lot of us who watch films based on superheroes or like Transformers or other sorts of franchises that were around when we were kids is that these films. They're they're not for us, they're made for children And there'll be kids going to see Minions And 30 years from now they'll be saying It was one of their favourite films when they were a kid And they will defend it until their dying breath Us as adults would go and see it We can tell that it's just been a thinly Put together film that's just a bit of a You know, like you said A a, a marketing cash cow basically Working on the popularity of of them as characters Mm. But then it's not really Meant to, you know connect with us beyond like a few jokes for the mums and dads that they always sneak into these movies so in a way you kind of it, it's a very hard thing to do and it's the thing it, that only the best kind of you know media critics ever really uh, cultural critics ever really get right which is being able to look at something outside of their own objectivity and yeah. millions is, is a classic example of that because you know all the grown-ups are and to see all the saying, a load of rubbish." That I didn't like it, and then all the kids who went to see it will just be, like I said, raving about that for years to come about how how yeah. brilliant it was. And that's True. that's what the film's set out to do, and it's done it. So yeah. can't argue with that.
2: Well, there you go. I think um, next week it will be uh, more than likely Terminator will Terminator Genesis will be high up. It, it, I'm not sure it will it will necessarily beat Jurassic World, but I think I think it will be up there. So um, as will Magic Mike. Um, triple x or whatever it's called xxl but i will say actually very quickly we won't review it on the podcast unfortunately because of the way this has worked but i went to see amy yesterday the amy winehouse documentary um yeah as if Capadia who made senna and it is a stunning piece of work i, I oh, yeah. recommend it because the story of amy winehouse isn't quite what you think it is and it is desperately desperately sad Uh, And I now have a hell of a lot more respect for her as a as as a musician and her life because it is a really really tragic tale, and more so, it's just a brilliantly put together documentary. So I really encourage anyone who likes music to go and watch that. Um, Let's uh, (laughs) let's move back to the uh, to the meat of the podcast to get back to uh, Terminator, and we are now moving on to Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. The life you know, all the stuff you take for granted,
3: it's not gonna last. Imagine
1: a world of permanent darkness, where machines
2: control man's destiny. Imagine you were the only one who could stop it. But before you do, Something terrible has to happen.
3: All military assistance
2: have been This can't be happening. John Connor was here. Where is he? Are you going to kill me?
1: No. My mission is to protect you.
2: This is the point that I think most people agree that Terminator starts to lose its, its, it's oomph now obviously Terminator 3 was filmed, was a good 13 years later and crucially this is the point that James Cameron um, effectively parts ways he, he was a bit still involved in this one but it wasn't, it wasn't to the same degree, he didn't write it, he didn't direct it this was uh, by Jonathan Mostow who, uh, who came on board, who had previously done um, Breakdown with uh, Kurt Russell which was a great little film um, like a modern day duel, which was very good. Uh so, you know, he's not a bad director at all. But the third film was it was just before Arnie went off and did, you know, ten years destroying California in in office. The Governator The Governor. And it was it was in many ways his last you know, a lot I think a lot of people I think he thought maybe that he was going to be giving up uh giving up acting. So it was it was it was kind of his last hurrah one of his last hurrahs really. And it was Possibly a slightly misjudged film in that you know one of the big things it does is it kills off Sarah Connor, which is which is something that I think was very questionable to a lot of people. In that you know she's she's such a crucial character to the whole thing, and you know there there was there was an element of 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 logic in that you know you make it about John Connor and you pair him with a with a female um, you know character and have him uh, again being hunted as a man. You know I I understand that idea, but. Without Sarah Connor, this just this has just lost something, and, and it's one of those films that I, I actually think it's it's a lot better than people give it credit for. Rising, Machines. it
3: really is. It, it really is. is. A lot of it, people just dissed it on principle, and it's it's a very gets a very unfairly bad reception. I think
2: it, it really does. It really does. It is not in the same league as the first two. You know that that's obvious. It does have some some really wobbly ideas, like you know, uh, Christana Loken as, as the TX with her inflatable boobs and things like that he's, he's a bit he's a, he's really quite like he, I,
3: just... I think that's that's their attempt at that slightly awkward humor that they put in all the terminator movies really like all the cheesy things they make arnie say in the second one or the the, the ongoing gag with him trying to smile in genesis i think that's that's purposefully tongue in cheek that whole that that kind of thing
2: well well yeah well yeah but i think one of the things that that, that they they've never quite done as well as james cameron he's managed to make the two blend together in in quite as effective a way i mean the first film doesn't have much of it at all the first film is a lot more serious and dark and weird and grungy the second film definitely has those character moments like you know with john kind of trying to ingratiate the terminator into modern you know um cool speak you know and all that kind of thing and those comic moments but it just seems to work better we're in this it's not bad and there are some really funny moments like Talk to the Hand, which I always find funny, and I have to do myself, Talk to the Hand. You know, there are there are some good bits, but it does feel like it's being it's being forced a little bit more. So, you know, I, I think there are some questionable ideas. You know, Nick Stahl isn't necessarily the best, you know, um John Connor you you would have ever faced. You would have ever had.
3: No um, I, I think he was a bit miscast in it. He he's my main kind of problem with the film really. I think um
1: Thirty-six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one-dollar-per-month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash
3: host claire danes is is brilliant as kate i think because she's just got the right just the right blend of kind of slightly disbelieving wide-eyed annoyance at everything that's happening to her throughout the whole thing i think christiana loken does a pretty all right job as the Terminatrix or whatever they end up calling her, to be honest. Yeah, but yeah, Nick I, Nick Stahl just doesn't. Edward Furlong had that edginess about him in the sense of someone yeah. who could go on. He was just this raw mess of untapped potential, and he could <laughs> go on to be someone great. Nick styles kind of it's like it's like the big problem that happened with that I always say happened with Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies, where they ended up going yeah. with Tobey Maguire over Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And you got a guy who was too much of a nerd and not enough of a hero. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty yeah. much the same thing again here. Nick Stahl just doesn't feel like he's going to grow up to be John Connor. No, no, he doesn't. He feels like he's going to grow up to be one of John Connor's radio operators, you know?
2: <laughs> that, but that's exactly the point. You know, he, he's just, he just doesn't quite have that, that element to him. And I think that, I mean, Edward Furlong, they wanted him back, but then by then he'd gone a bit mad and off the rails and everything like that, a bit like John Connor when mm-hmm. he was that age. So he didn't come back for this. But it was the whole thing with this that I think it had its problems but i think what people forget is that there is there are some moments in this that are really really well executed I, I would argue that the the massive big chase sequence through la with that m- enormous crane that the terminator has to hang off is one of the best oh, that is so sequences. much fun it is wonderfully done it's it's one of the best in the whole franchise it's it's fucking awesome you know it just bar- it barrels along for like 10 minutes and it's relentless and it's epic it's really 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 good and i will argue as well that, I mean, obviously, the whole plot in the end is again, you know, Judgment Day has been delayed through the timey-wimey ideas of this. That, and it, it's happening after 1997, obviously. But this plot involving them trying to stop Skynet in the end when, you know, when they get the chance. But what I love about this film and what, what I think it, it was unfairly criticised for is the balls of the ending. Because that. Oh, absolutely. It's so to, brave. Balls. It really does. You know, obviously, you know, spoilers, but the ending, Skynet. A judgment Day happens after three films are building up to it. That's it. The bombs fall, the inevitability of the future goes off, and Skynet wins effectively. Well, there is no effectively about it. It does win, <laughs> and you are left with this kind of Jesus Christ.
3: That's that's what really won won the film over for me, just as yeah. much as it put a lot of people off it, because it's building towards this final confrontation, and John and Kate are running around um, the Cyberdyne Labs and getting attacked by all the kind of prototype um, Hunter Killer models while arnie and the terminatrix are having their sort of final scrap outside and then it's that just moment where they get down into the bunker and then they realize oh no we we can't turn anything off this is where we're supposed to hide and 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 survive everything out and it's it's that great it's almost like back to that horror movie moment of of Mm -hmm. the sudden realization of oh god they've been fucked right from the very start there was no way it was never going to go down any differently that they were never going to be able to, to to stop it that when it all goes off I, that's the point at which I was leaning back and going that's fucking brilliant and then a lot of other yeah. people were obviously going oh but they were supposed to stop it, oh it's not a happy ending I automatically don't like it I but should that's... tell all of my friends on the Twitters
2: <laughs> but that's the whole point I mean that's why I, I agree with you in that they, they forget the whole point of Terminator is that it will always happen and that's and that's you know something that I think will be borne out in the future films that we, we may well get but we'll get to that later but the whole idea that, you know, Judgment Day is that, like you said earlier, that fixed point in time. This will always happen, or it will always threaten to happen. It is something that you cannot stop. And that's what that's what T3, you know, like T2, even though T2 did end it with that idea of hope, there was also that undercurrent of, you know, well, this this will have probably happen one day. It's this. And this really does go with that. And I think to do that in a massive, big blockbuster, is brave. And I think I really, really admire it for for not chickening it out, when it could have very easily done something a lot more oh well, you know, we've stopped it for now, you know, and it's which is something that Genesis later does and it's that whole thing of, you know
3: good on it Well, well again, two quick points to make one is that when you say big massive blockbuster film, I don't know if anyone else ever thought this, but the way Terminator 3 starts with a very kind of low-key pan-across-the-street and the TX appearing, and just the way the credits are just popping up very kind of unobtrusely on the screen, it doesn't open with a big flashbang. It opens almost like a TV movie. It weirdly feels very kind of, like, subdued and downplayed when it starts. But the the main point I was going to make, the recurring motif, especially in Terminator 2, um, around the time Sarah has a dream and then decides to pretend to be a Terminator and take the future into her own hands, is that whole, there's no fate but what we make for ourselves, the future's not set thing. And again, the deleted ending to Terminator 2, which shows the old grandma Sarah Connor watching John, a grown-up John, play with his kids in in a park in L.A. The same one where she earlier in the film had a her nuclear nightmare. Test audiences didn't like that because they thought it was too neat. Which is why we had that hastily added in, just shot of the rolling road and that thing of Sarah saying, "Oh well, we've stopped this thing from happening," but you know we still don't know what else is going to come up. And it's, mm. I think it, the ideas both work in tandem one is that some things we've got ourselves to a point where some things are always going to happen but that ties in there's no fate but what we make for ourselves the fate we have made for ourselves is that we are going to create something that's going to turn on us and destroy the world and that's the bit that we can't escape what we do ourselves as individuals that's the bit that we can control and that's what we do our own futures aren't set but the future of you know Time itself, how these events are going to play out in one way or another, it's always going to come about. It's the whole. Um, I mean, it's the final destination of butterfly effects I'm trying to think of where no matter what you're trying to do, it's some sooner or later, what wants to happen somehow finds a way to happen.
2: The, the, the Terminator films are a great example of the butterfly effect, really. You know, in, in that causal effect and you know the inevitability of, of time. You know, Terminator Three obviously it served as as kind of a. Uh, what you might call as an ending point in some respects at that point because obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger had given up the role and you'd given up acting you had the, the, the Skynet win so you know you, you've you effectively locked that off so where do you go and uh, obviously you know they never want to completely shut down a cash cow even though the films have been making less money si- now since Terminator 2 but then the next move was, um, was a very different one wasn't it with Terminator Salvation
0: we've been fighting a long time We are outnumbered by machines. Humans have a strength that cannot be measured. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. I thought I knew our enemy. Something has changed. Sky-Nad is taking human prisoners. Replicating human tissue.
1: Let's see what we've got here.
0: And in this future, I don't know that we can win this war.
3: Terminator Salvation. Again, if you can forgive the fact that McGee, or whatever he likes to call himself, was in it terminator salvation again is a perfectly good film that gets a lot of bad stick just because it's not what people wanted a terminator movie to be and i don't think at this point if you ask 10 people on the street what they would want the next terminator film to be like you would get 10 different answers Mm, it it, it's a perfectly competent war story and a kind of one man's moral journey thing smushed together and for what i can tell of the troubled production history of the film uh various points it was weighted more towards uh, sam worthington's character um marcus and other times more towards christian bale as john connor's side of the story and the the resulting film is very much a 50 50 blend of the two that you could argue is a little less focused because their two stories don't properly come together until like the third act of the film much as they spend a lot of the film together with each other mm. but terminator Salvation's a war movie we're in the future you know it's after judgment day but not quite far enough ahead that we've got to the time traveling bit yet but the machines are starting to figure out what they need to do they've got their very sort of clunky early model terminators they're you know still trying to harvest humans but there's a lot more humanity out there you know we're sort of 10 years away from the completely burned out nuclear wasteland that we see in the previous films and while you've got Marcus going on his journey of discovery through that and waking up you know, in, in the future and realising that he's been sort of half-made into a cyborg and that there's this kind of internal battle for his soul going on as to which side he's going to fall on, I don't know whether a lot of people just wanted there to be more Arnie in it. And I think the fact that he wasn't, it almost kind of feels like a spin-off film in a lot of ways. Like it's kind of stories that are happening around the other films rather than being a its own soya entry into the rest of the film i mean admittedly yeah, yeah. it's it's a little confusing at places it's a little all over the place moonblood good's character kind of you don't really know what to do with her bryce dallas howard who i understand was heavily pregnant through most of the film does very little other than sit around and just you know look pretty for the most part and i let's be honest a lot of people out there massively dislike christian bale just on principle and i think that put a lot of people off the film given that he spends a chunk of it barking at people Uh, and of course that very famously uh, recorded flip out that he had the one day on set when that lighting um, assistant just pissed him off and he blew up at him which is both equal parts kind of slightly douchey actor Speak and also, if someone was doing that to me in the middle of a really intense scene, I'd probably flip out and lose my shit as well. Yeah, he, his mean. flip-flopping accent in that scene, in that recording, is the funniest part of it. <laughs> but again, true. we talk about the tank, the the chase through LA bit in Terminator Three as being a standout. The opening sequence of uh, um, Salvation, there's this brilliant one-shot sequence in it when they're escaping from the base. When John find they find the underground base with Marcus before he he wakes up and the terminator endoskeletons that connor remarks as they seem different to how he thinks they should be which already starts to hint that we're on a slightly different timeline of events caused by the you know judgment day happening in 2003 and terminator 3 rather than in 97 like it was supposed to so he's already noticing that things aren't going how he expected them to which is something that i think was spiritually carried over into genesis there's this one-shot sequence of the escape as everything's just going to shit and things are blowing up around him. He tries to get in a helicopter as it flies off and then that gets shot down and he crashes out of it. It's one continuous shot and it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And there's a lot of moments like that. Like the scene when he crashes a helicopter into the lake and the little swimmy centurion thingies are coming yeah. after him. There's loads of just awesome moments in that film. The film the actual assault on Skynet, you know, there's a lot more good stuff that happens in that film than people remember. All all people tend to fixate on is Helena Bonham Carter's abysmal acting. I don't know what she was on that day, but she's just yeah, yeah. terrible in this. And again, you know, the fact that there's no Arnie in it, apart from that kind of faux Arnie that they fight at one point, although that is a pretty awesome moment when the the pretend Arnie gets, sort of comes stomping out to, to fight them at one point. But again, it's a very brave thing to try and mix up how the franchise was going forward and has ultimately Marcus sacrificing himself, choosing humans over the machines so that John Connor can live and again, in original cuts of of the film, and it's always important I think if you're getting into a franchise or you know learning more about a film to find out how it could have gone because it'll inform the choices that you see in the film um, originally the, the idea was that Connor was going to die outright and that Marcus was going to take on Connor's appearance and basically become John Connor so that he could continue the fight in his name. I think they realised there wasn't a way to really sell that to the audience, you know, through the technology available to him that would have really made sense. So it made more sense for John Connor to be dying and for Marcus to make this ultimate sacrifice and to give him his heart. And then you've got a John Connor who has to live with the fact that he has a machine's heart keeping him alive. But I think for the the ideas at play in it... Um, the action sequences that kick off and just again the bravery of some of some elements of it i think salvation is a perfectly good film i think it gets a lot of bad stick for no real reason and i think you should go and sit and watch it again objectively if you haven't seen it for a while and you might find that you actually quite enjoy it
2: i think you've given that a very very good defense there actually i mean i i i still i watched it i think last year because i went through the four of them last year again Um, and I hadn't seen it I remember really quite enjoying it the first time around actually I remember going to the cinema and really liking it in fact I may have gone with you possibly I'm not sure we may
3: have I I took my mum to go and see it and I was Ah. because my mum loves the Terminator movies Um, she's always been a very geeky person when it comes to her film tastes and I was just cracking up because she, she's one of these she's at the age now where she likes to shout advice at the characters on the screen especially <laughs> at really quiet tense moments where they're infiltrating bases and she's shouting at them to not open the door because that's where the Terminators are <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs>
2: well this is it yeah I mean I, I, like I say I enjoyed it first time round but then I watched it last year and I, I, I found quite a few problems with it really I mean I, for me it just dragged for me it was the, the I, I agree about the action sequences I think some of them were really well staged oh it
3: slows down that. massively in the middle once they get Marcus back to the base it does take his foot off the gas for a good half hour
2: I think for, in terms of, of narrative and plotting I think Christian Bale looks bored you know I, th- I think there's there's a lot of issues with it in terms of the actual I mean I didn't give a shit. I mean that's one of the biggest things. I didn't give a shit didn't give a shit about anything. Yeah.
3: And it's, Connor's and, a bit of a douche really isn't he for most yeah, of the film. He's kind he's of a bit a, of an arrogant dickhead.
2: Yeah, he's a bit of a grumpy arrogant bastard. And I'm like, well, okay. I I think on a visual level, I I think I think it's got merit definitely. I think it looks very good. I think it, it portrays the, you know, the future you know, machines of one judgment day post apocalypse very well but I I didn't get on with the rest of it really. So for me it's it's the the low point of the franchise. But no, it it isn't it isn't a bad bad film. You know, and there are there are points and I think you've like I say I think you've argued the case very well for salvation there really. But before we get before we get on to talking about Genesis um and the, the future of the Terminator franchise, let's just back up a little bit because I'm just going to go into my director's corner and today um, it felt fitting In the last one I did This was, It was for the Jurassic um, Park retrospective uh, And in that one it was Steven Spielberg cause Of his role in Jurassic Park films It obviously naturally feels fitting today To talk about James Cameron Because he's the founding father of Terminator And the DNA of, of what he created Is in the entire franchise
3: Well th- th- that and the many sources That he nicked the ideas from over the years Yes. Well, If Harlan Ellison is to believe, be believed anyway
2: Well yeah exactly He's yeah but I think really, if you look at at, at Cameron's um, films and biography, and we are in many ways, he's been doing that throughout his entire career. You know, I think in terms of directors, I mean, you know, Spielberg. If Spielberg is the father of the blockbuster, I think in many ways, James Cameron is the, you know, the father of of modern sort of high high concept cinema because Spielberg's films. Spielberg has done a lot more films than Cameron, and I think he's. Uh, par, for, par for par, his, fil- his films are better in, in, in greater numbers. But there is nothing. There is no oh. taking away from the fact that James Cameron has made some sort of the greatest major motion pictures of the last thirty, forty years. Um, James
3: Cameron has made four of my favourite films of all time, and I don't think yeah. there's any other director who's made that that many of them.
2: Considering as well, he hasn't really made many films, and that that's that's when you look back at his, his filmography, it's it's surprising, really. Because obviously he got started with Roger Corman. Um, He was like working as a miniature model maker for Roger Corman way back in the seventies, and you know he was he was like working on films like Battle Beyond the Stars, and then um, oh, that's such a good film.
3: Yeah, Escape (laughs) from New
2: York. He did like special effects Uh, on Escape from New York, and was on really sort of other small random films like Galaxy of Terror and Android, and then he got Android. Yeah, he got in the (laughs) early eighties. And he got you see so his DNA's there already, but he got his he got his so we say big break when he was um, hired as the the special directs special effects director for Piranha Two: The Spawning, <laughs> where he basically yeah. got his first he Pretty basically bad. ended up taking over taking over basically doing a lot of stuff. He went to he, he was doing things for the film, and then he went to Rome and he, he got struck with food poisoning, and while he was having you know basically rapture in the middle of this horrible illness he had a nightmare about an invincible robot hitman sent from the future to kill him (laughs) which gave (laughs) him the idea for the terminator which obviously is his first major film as a director so it's interesting how all those years working on those you know those those very science fiction you know schlocky kind of b-movie pictures and then some of these really cool early like 80s and, and late, late 70s kind of films gave him the, the, the foundation in order to go and do the effects work and have such a uh, an affinity to this kind of cinema, and that's obviously what spawned The Terminator.
3: Harlan Ellison, the famously outspoken um, author who has long complained about Hollywood r- ripping off little bits of his ideas for various movies and things, which he's not wrong in doing. I think he actually got into a lawsuit with um, Fox over, or was or it Orion? No, it was Orion Pictures and, and Cameron over that opening sequence that opening bit to the Terminator which he felt had been lifted directly from his work but it just goes to show with that and the work he was doing with Corman and all these other guys that Cameron was starting to soak up all these interesting ideas but also through working with someone as famously DIY as Roger Corman um, that he'd get into the um, I think oh, Charles Band is the other director I think I'm thinking of as well it's a very similar kind of lo-fi use practical effects as much as possible You know, don't try to rely too much on studio trickery and really kind of make sure you know about the things that you are doing, which is why he did so much, you know, deep-sea exploration for the Abyss and Titanic, why he essentially had to create his own brand of technology to be able to capture what he was trying to do with Avatar. I think Cameron, the reason that he hasn't made a lot of films, it's like Kubrick is a perfectionist, but Cameron is one of those guys who, much like George Lucas, has to kind of invent the tech he needs to make the films he's trying to do.
2: I think I think that's very true. I think, and that's that's something that you know is he, a, a continuing theme in his work. You know, he went on to before he did Aliens, he actually wrote a first draft of of Rambo, First Blood Part Two, which Stallone nixed and then wrote his own, which was radically different. Which would have been interesting to see what what he would have you know done with Rambo, which is which is a fascinating thing. But he then went on to uh, to Aliens, which obviously is your favourite film.
3: Aliens uh, is the greatest film of all time
2: ever. <laughs> <Amber. laughs> But yeah, Aliens, obviously, which is like Terminator Two. Later on, he's he's in many respects, arguably one of the greatest sequels ever made. And and for me, it's Cameron's best film, personally. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you know in all the in all these things, he's he's built on his you know his understanding of technology, like you just said. You know, he went on to make The Abyss, then, which. He's one of those films that was very difficult for him and, and hasn't been as well remembered by a lot of people even though it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very... Great. The yeah, Abyss a is film, a great film. <laughs> very good film. But it gets a lot of... That gets a lot of stick and it hasn't been quite loved as much as, as many people have said. For that, you know, he went to... He, it was, that was the first time he really... His fixation with, on, the, underwater, with water really came, came about. You know, he created an immense... Like, immense sets with massive... I mean, he almost killed a couple of his actors you know, at various points in the abyss. Oh, he, he
3: always does that. I yeah. mean, it's it's well documented how much the the British crew and Aliens hated him because mm. he didn't like the fact that they stopped to have tea breaks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's all kinds of great cast and crew shirts which were just like loads of thinly veiled insults or even not very thinly veiled insults at him, that they would wear on set whilst working for him. Yeah. Uh, Michael Byrne always puts it the best that he says much. I think the same as Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. He's one of the guys who's been in so many James Cameron or James Cameron produced movies. Is because he's one of the few guys who knows how to get on with him. Which is that when James Cameron gets bossy and starts shouting at people and swearing, just shout and swear back at him. Yeah. And that that's the language that he understands when he's getting passionate about something. Don't be offended and don't shrink away. Just stand up to him. And a lot of people, you know, don't do that are not willing to do that and, and go for it. And that happened a lot on The Abyss, as I understand it. I think Ed Harris in particular really didn't get on with him over it. But in a way that kind of that flows out into the, you know, growing frustration and, and anger that's coming out of so many characters in, in the performances there. And, you know, sometimes, as Stanley Kubrick would probably tell you, as he would tell you, sometimes if you want to get the best performances out of your actors, you can't be nice to them. You have to be very nasty to them. To get the take that that works on film,
2: and I think yeah, and I think the greatest the greatest directors do manage to do that definitely. I think obviously then you know he went on to make obviously Terminator Two, which we've discussed, but then he he had perhaps his most fun making True Lies, which is what it's (laughs) any film. If somebody said what what film would you want to see a, a sequel of, I would have probably said True Lies for a long time. But in a way, I'm glad they never did because I don't know what could have been done better. Really, I don't know where you could have done how you could have done that better a second time round. Yeah,
3: that's a nicely self-contained film. That it it just it it works on a lot of levels. The ridiculousness of Arnie playing a secret agent as one thing. It's Last Action Hero tried to do the kind of spoofy action movie thing a few years after that and didn't work at all because Last Action Hero is really bleak and dark for the most part. And the the second half of once they get out of the movie world and back into the real world, Last Action Hero goes really hopelessly. Dark and, and black, and I, I can never really get on with it. True Lies knows that you send up action movies by being even more ridiculous and over the top and overblown and nonsensical, and that's what makes them fun, and that's why it still stands up and works so well today.
2: Exactly, and that was that was the th- that was the last one before he you know he went mega, and he, he he made the the two biggest box office films adjusted for inflation anyway of all time in first Titanic, and then Avatar. Now. You know, to say, I mean, Titanic especially is, is one of those films that he's he's like you gone with the winds and your uh, your Doctor Shyvagoes in that they are just like going to be remembered and watched for for the rest of cinematic history. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think Titanic. And I haven't watched Titanic in a, probably a good ten odd years. I don't think it's a particularly great movie. Like I don't think Avatar is a particularly great movie. On a technical level, though. Even though Cameron's got worse in terms of his ability to write, it seems over the years, he's and, and some of his performances he can get on a technical level. T- Titanic and Avatar are incredible achievements, and there's there's no taken away from that really. Especially Avatar, especially, it's the one film I think that that truly validates 3D, but except perhaps Toy Story Three, which <laughs> was was joyous.
3: Avatar just remains a tricky one because, for a large chunk of its running time, it's essentially an animated movie. Yeah. There's there's no, there's no two ways of getting around it. Really, you're basically just watching an entirely computer generated movie for at least half of the running time of that. And and as I said, as it all comes together, not only is it essentially beat for beat the story of Pocahontas, Which but means, also yeah. it, it 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 riffs on too many other things from other James Cameron movies, and it ends up feeling. The same same problem that some people have had with Genesis, it feels like a greatest hits rather than Cameron taking this new idea he's had and doing something really different with it. It just feels like he created this technology, but then he didn't have a strong enough story to back it up. So we get this very, very, for all the inventive elements of it, this very derivative, basic story that is full of all these really oddly sort of old-fashioned character moments and that scene that you and i were laughing at when we went to see it i remember of when <laughs> michelle rodriguez's helicopter gets shot down <laughs> and she just got kind of a shrug and says oh well i'm gonna die in a second see ya <laughs> yeah, we were like, it's just yeah. it's a really oddly kind of disconnected film yeah. and i think i'm sure george lucas had would have had this issue anyone working in sin city or any of the other frank miller movies or anything that's too much blue and green screen um because we was i suppose green screen is more accurate these days mm. There comes a point when you can only make people act to green for so far and, and they will, if you're not putting them in enough practical stuff and giving them actual things to see and emote to and react from it's like how Will Smith always describes his experience of um, making the men in black movies as essentially having to stare down like a, a ping pong ball on the end of a stick <laughs> and pretend it was a giant alien yeah, yeah. and how difficult it was sometimes to sort of click his, his imagination into doing that there are only a few people who really... I think it's only really Sigourney Weaver and Zoe Saldani who come out of Avatar, you know, still with their acting chops mm. held up as a result of it.
2: But it just suggests that, really, Cameron's... A, he's a lot more interested now in the technology and in the, the, the technical abilities of what film can do than the actual... You know, I mean, on the one hand, you know, he, I think he would still call himself a, a storyteller and things like that, but I, I'm not so sure he is. I think he's more an inventor now. And, but there's nothing to take away from the fact... You know, there's nothing to can't take away from the fact that he is pushing the boundaries of what film can do, you know, and, and he has been doing that for 30 years. So I think what he will be remembered for is he'll be remembered for making some truly great films, I think, more towards the beginning of his career, because by the look of it now, Avatar is pretty much going to gonna be the rest of his career, I think. You know, oh, he's, God. He, it seems to be just all he's doing. He's making, like, another three films. He keeps I should
3: pushing, have to think.
2: He, well, he keeps pushing back when he's going to actually film them, so you know, it's been nearly ten years since it's getting on for nearly you know five. Well, yeah, I think it was two thousand nine Avatar. So it will be ten years roughly. Yeah, it will be ten years roughly before we probably see the next Avatar films. So you know, well, from the first one, so like twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. So it's like he's he's and he's sixty now. So I think he's really going to spend most of the rest of his career dabbling in these these kind of worlds where he's pushing, you know, the elements of of, of what he can do with green screen, what he can do with three D, what he can do with you know, the, the next phase of technology. But even though his, his actual films... I mean, I'm not expecting much from the Avatar sequels, really, in terms of a storytelling level. But I think, visually, they will, again, be arresting. And I think they will yeah. push what he can do. Yeah, so Cameron's... Cameron, The future of, of James Cameron will be very interesting. He, in fact, gave his a blessing of uh, our final topic tonight, which is um, going back to Terminator. Terminator Genesis.
0: I look at each of you and I see the marks of this long and terrible war. If we die tonight, mankind dies with us. The machine sent a Terminator back to the time before the war to kill my mother, Sarah Connor. Sir, let me save her. What you're doing right now, this is the end of the war. I love to change the world. But I don't know. What to do. Time going back to. Her, she was scared and weak. Take care of her for me, Kyle.
1: Come with me if you want to live.
2: Now, he called uh, he called Terminator Genesis the spiritual T3 because uh, in his mind this is this is where the story should have gone after T2. Obviously, this is the new one, the new film that brings Arnold Schwarzenegger back into the role as the Terminator. Now he's back acting. Playing again the T eight hundred, only an older version, who's got older through his organic skin decaying over over the ages of protecting Sarah Connor in an entirely new timeline, in which uh, Jay Courtney's Carl Reese flips back to, even on his you know, his original trajectory of being sent back by John Connor in the in the future, in twenty twenty nine, as the first film does, ends up back in nineteen eighty four, as the first film does, only Sarah Connor, played by um, the Khaleesi, the mother of dragons, Amelia Clark is now a badass, and she's being protected by a Terminator called Pops, who she considers like her father, and she's already on the hunt to try and stop Skynet. So you've got Kairis going, what the fuck? You've got the audience going, what the fuck? And uh, ultimately, what do we make of it? Is this the the real comeback? Is is this the spiritual sequel?
3: It's not a sequel. It's not a sequel in any way, because it starts with the concept conceit of the original film and then just goes off in its own new direction with it. It's not Terminator three at all. It's it's Terminator one point five. <laughs> Even it's you know, it's it's just a it's a fresh start and, and a look back for it. Having heard the initial slightly negative reviews of it, I kind of went out and spoiled myself on it so that I could be a bit prepared for what was coming up. And this is what happens. Because we've now had the event of a Terminator arriving to protect Sarah in the seventies, that's created imagine the chalkboard from Back to the Future 2 where um, the docs explain to Marty how they've speared off into the alternate 1985 that's exactly what's happened and Kyle Reese has come back along that timeline because any changes earlier in the timeline like at 73 and, and so on have now created this new slightly different reality which again is why some of the things that happen in 2029 are different from what we're expecting because you know as John says this is where my information runs out all these little tiny macro butterfly effect changes is what's creating this new version of events. So, not a sequel. <laughs> you know, new timeline, new completely different set of films. If you approach it with that mindset, then you're kind of like, right, fresh start. Forget everything I knew about the other ones. Let's go in and see what this one's going to do.
2: Well, that could serve to, to explain one of my biggest bugbears. I've got a couple of bugbears with this.
3: I um, think I can answer at least one of them having thought about well, it. So, let's, let's okay. see what you got
2: well this one is it's the whole thing I've made this mistake when I've written scripts before but there's a big moment in this that didn't make sense to me in terms of how the time works in that the moment where John sends Kyle back is, is the moment obviously now spoilers obviously if you haven't seen this but it's the moment where um, Matt Smith who turns out obviously to be Skynet attacks John Connor and Kyle Reese sees this and it causes him to you know, partly end up in like this nexus point which, which pushes him into this new timeline the problem I had with that was, why didn't that happen originally? Now maybe you've answered this question already in what you just said. Mm-hmm. Why, if this is the exact same events that sent the original car is back, why didn't that happen? And in the first Terminator, but maybe your your explanation there in that it's kind of all feeding back into itself that the the original timeline that we saw in the eighties isn't the one that we've we've started on with Genesis is why. Mm-hmm. In the original one film, Kyle Reese didn't see that happen when he got back to nineteen eighty four. That that kind of does explain it because that was something I came at the cinema going, well, that doesn't work. That that's like one of those classic. Oh well, you know, don't worry, it didn't happen in the first film, but it doesn't matter. Right. So the
3: the, the nexus point moment when when Kyle's in the bubble and starts seeing remembering the alternate timeline, it's because he's as as John says later in the film, you know, we are marooned the three of us, John. Because he's at the point of basically being sent back in time, he then starts seeing flashes of... Because he's grown up post-Judgment Day, Mm. but then because the date of Judgment Day moves because of the events that happen previously to it then going off, he then starts to remember two sets of memories, which is an event that the recent 12 Monkeys TV series played with a bit as well. And that John and that Kyle starts to remember the future that they end up encountering him in as a younger lad later on, where he just has like a nice normal family life because Judgment Day hasn't happened yet. And the main question that I was asking at that point um, was, why did Skynet let Kyle get sent back in time? If it if it knew it had the ability to just wipe out everyone in the room and infect John Connor, why not do that? And this ties into my central thing that I think is going to answer one of your other points: in that Skynet had to let certain things happen because it had other things planned and going on that needed Kyle to go back to be there for, to like establish a timeline for, basically
2: Possibly, my other bugbear my other bugbears in a way really aren't to do with the film itself, because I, you know, I, I I don't think, I think this is better than Salvation definitely, I think it's probably yeah. on a par in many respects with T3 actually you know, it's it's got it's got similar things. It's probably I don't think it's got any action sequences that are as good as as the as the big chase in two three. But I think it, a, it is lacking
3: a killer moment, isn't it?
2: It is. There's, it's lacking that really memorable wow moment that the first three films do have in in certain areas. But I think it's you know if it's not quite as good as T three, it's close, and I think it's got better it's got better actors in in a lot of the parts than, than some of T three. I mean, Amelia Clark's great as Sarah Connor. You know, she's oh, she's, yeah. as, Very she's good. as good as she's as good as as Linda Hamilton. She's as good as as um, as Lena Headey was in in uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Jay Courtney actually isn't Kryptonite like normal. You know, he's awful. Nor- he's awful normally, but he's actually quite good as Carrey. So, quite in, him.
3: in that first that first corridor scene where him and John are just having a chat before they go on the last mission, he, I, I was like, oh god, he's so bad. But he does yeah. get a bit better as the he film does. goes on. Somehow, yeah,
2: he does. He is he is poor in that first scene, but he just he gets it, and they, he's got good chemistry with Amelia Clark. And you know, I believe their relationship, and I liked the,
3: that's when Clark he starts working. It, it yeah. it's only when he's in scenes with her that he starts working yeah, really because. True. You know, because he's not he's suddenly not in charge of everything and he's having to take orders and just be blindly led around and it kind of it suits him a lot better, I think, he rather becomes, than being expected to be the guy in charge.
2: Yeah, and he becomes more sympathetic. And I've noticed when Jay Courtney plays a character who's not being a complete bell end, he's a lot more he's a lot more likable actually. He's you know, he's he's not a great actor by any means, but he's he's all right in this. I quite enjoyed him. Then, you know, obviously Arnie's still being Arnie, really brilliant. He's got to the point now where he knows full well what he's doing. He's, he's not quite parody, but he's, you know, he's very much with a twinkle in his eye and a little wink in many respects. You know, lines like, I'm old, not obsolete. You know, it's just pure, <laughs> it's purely looking at Arnie and going, yeah, you're not quite past it yet, mate. It's great. You know, he's he's brilliant. He's he's great fun. And, um, you know, so I've got, I've got no issue with any of that. I, I take issue. My biggest issue is is not aimed actually at Alan Taylor who directed it. Who did a perfectly good job. Not aimed at the actors. Not the story has its issues and it has its problems. But it's the marketing that has really pissed me off because yes, I've, I've, it's basically this whole thing of how they ruined the the central midpoint twist. And w- I remember when I saw this trailer, you and I spoke about this, and I said to you, I'm con- in fact I may have said it on a podcast. I'm convinced that the John Connor reveal that he's actually been turned into a Terminator will be at the middle of the film and you were saying well you know maybe it's an early an early twist and there'll be more afterwards but no and and, and I hated the fact I was proven right because I was in that cinema and I almost, I almost said damn it out loud like really out loud because I was just so mm. furious that they would ruin and in fact Alan Taylor himself has come out and said that he can't fucking believe they did it because he, he filmed there's a specific scene in Genesis, where at one point John Connor's there and it seems like he's you know he's found his parents and and then Arnie shoots him and and it's this moment where you think fuck or well, you're supposed to think fuck has is this Terminator really good you know is he actually bad is he actually suddenly going to turn is Arnie going to become bad for the rest of the film but you don't think that because if you've seen the trailer you know exactly why he's doing it the moment that John Connor returns you know he's a Terminator and I was just furious because that would that could have been a, the most tense. Exciting moment of this entire film, and it was ruined by
3: moronic, moronic. Moments. I know. And I, I mean, it, I, w- I still am n- livid. Knowing that going into it, you, you get a different sense. It's not as good, but you get the sense of dramatic irony because as soon as John turns up, you know that he's a Terminator, but yeah. you know, Sarah and Kyle don't, and it's only when Arnie wanders out and shoots him. It, it's, the, the impact is massively le- lessened than what it could have been, and I, I share Alan Taylor's pain in that.
2: And, that, and the important thing is that was not the creative Intention at all behind that That, that wasn't it, meant to be ironic We weren't supposed to know at all and that's It what baffles
3: I mean. me how Why modern American Marketing guys for films Just keep making these trailers that Spoil major plot points As if they don't want to I think they've got it into their heads that audiences don't like Not knowing there's twists it They've is. got this weird perception that if they don't reveal a big twist then the audience encounter it in the film that people are going to be you know shocked by it, it no that the...
2: drove me mad it, and it, and it, what, what it actually did was that it made me it made me have a less goodwill towards the film and that that annoyed me because i've been looking forward to this since they first announced it and i was you know i've had my doubts but i was but having seen that trailer i remember we were watching me, you you and i and a big bunch of our friends went to see avengers age of ultron and they put, and I'd heard that there was a big spoiler in the Terminator trailer and I literally closed my eyes and covered my ears and shook in that seat trying not to hear or see that trailer because I knew there was something in it and everyone around me thought I was mental I don't know if you, you saw this at this point but <laughs> they all thought I was crazy but I was desperately trying to prevent myself from finding out what this was and unfortunately it didn't happen and I was, I was furious, I was absolutely furious because it then made me angry at the point that I knew that I was going into this film you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I'm sometimes a bit of a one for spoilers, you know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at not keeping Game of Thrones secrets from people. I really am, right? But there are certain things that I just think I just... It's, it's asinine. It, why you think that it would be a good idea to piss your audience off before they go into your movie? And it could, in fact, account for the fact that Genesis is not doing very well. It is, it, it's, 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 it's lagging behind Jurassic World and Inside no. World and it is not making. It's not making... At um, the dent that they expected, and it, it, it it will probably make its budget back, but that's a, but not much more. So
3: I tell you why it's not doing very well. Well, two two reasons really. One, the screening that I went to see in um, yesterday, as people were there was a bunch of older people getting up behind me in the seats who uh, they were talking about just as the film was uh, finishing. And one of the things I heard them said was, This should just stick to the story with it, shouldn't they?" People were expecting it <laughs> to be a remake of Terminator and thought, and yeah. were annoyed that it wasn't. No, and I think that's the thing. Audiences have been... This marketing campaign has confused people into thinking they're basically going to see a remake of either Terminator or Terminator 2, not its own thing, because, again, they couldn't tell you too much about what was happening with it. And also, but this is the thing I thought you were going to mention about, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film that isn't explained in this film. Because this is part of, a plan. you know, two or three films, there's a, a couple of massive plot points that don't get resolved in the movie, and... You know me, ordinarily, it's like my whole bugbear with Prometheus and just the absolute shitwreck that turns into in the last half hour of just setting all this stuff up and not bothering to explain it they do at least acknowledge in the film that there's still some stuff that they don't know about and I think that's what people got got upset with because I thought the other bugbear you you were going to say to me was who sent the the Terminator back to 73? Who sent both of them back to 73? And who sent the T-1000 to 84 ready for Kyle Reese to come out?
2: those are questions that and I the
3: answer is this is it and the answer is it's we're going to find that out if they get to the next film because why did skynet still allow Kyle to go back in time when he could have killed them all at any time it's because for whatever reason after we see that moment where john gets assimilated and and bogged by the by the skynet virus presumably that's when they start or maybe even it's happened before that point i, I don't know yet it, it it's it's quite quite fun in a way because They've got to find out a way of explaining it, but at some point, a T-1000 gets sent back to kill Sarah Connor when she's nine, and the Resistance reprogram, the T-800 pops, and send him back to protect her, and he stays there with her from that point onwards. But that's happened at a point in which the other characters, up to that point in the future, didn't know about. Mm. So... Something else, something, something else is going to happen because those same people presumably also sent the T-1000 ready to kill Carl Reese when he came out because no one knew that that was going to happen either so it's either going to f- completely fall apart or they've got this v- actually very clever narrative laid out that, but it does need two films to tell it properly and I think a lot of people maybe didn't get that about it I, mean, I dare say only the fact that I was reading up on the spoilers about it and trying to get ahead of the game in it I was expecting this going in so I had time before the end of the film to have figured this answer out had I just seen it on it's own merits I probably would have come out saying that made no fucking sense that was that was the worst film ever and oh, I think well, yeah. that's what a lot of people are yeah, coming out saying
2: I, th- I think possibly and they, they don't know as well that this has been planned as a trilogy from the get go because now Skydance productions have the entire rights to the entire Terminator franchise in house so they can now plan long term you know, they can, and there's there's associated TV series being developed, and it's it's going to become a big franchise now potentially if if it makes its money, you know, and so it we'll, we'll see really, and because they definitely have a three film plan for this iteration, and that's why it ends very much teeing up, you know, these Kyle, Sarah, and you know, the Arnie off on on their jollies. Um, so it's, taking
3: the whole film to get Kyle and Sarah together, I'm like, good, I I, I approved of that because I thought that was handled really nicely in that she, yeah, she she's obviously she thinks she's trained herself to not fancy him on principle at first and she gradually comes to like him over the course of the film whereas he's he's been in love with this one little willowy sort of vulnerable flower version of her that he's heard about and then he meets this new alternate version of her and it takes him a while to get yeah. round to, 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 to that as well but also the fact that Arnie's been upgraded now basically the, the T-800 mm-hmm. chip is now in a T-1000 body so you know, there's some nice potential there for them to do some interesting things with that, and presumably Skynet. Given that Skynet has survived,
2: but yeah, it's you know, it's it's not. I don't think it, I don't think it was a bad film. It, it, it was more the the marketing that annoyed me than the film itself. I think the film does p- things perfectly well. It does become a big shouty action load of nonsense, really, and it loses. It, it, it's not much more than that, really. But it does have some interesting ideas, and I think I would go and see another one with with that cast and. Um, you know, it could develop from there, and I think it will. I think if it makes it one, it's money, there'll be plenty more Terminator to come. And I, given it's, you know, it's a it's a good franchise. It's got a great mythology. It's got a great idea. You know, I I I will always be glad if it's hanging around. Really, we will see. We'll see. You in, in 2017 is destined to be the next the next one. Um, so we'll see then. I'm sure we'll be back to review it um, in that uh, in that future time. So. Thanks, Lee. It's been really good to hash, hack through the Terminator films with you this evening.
3: Well, it's an opportunity to just sort of gabble about them. I, I, it's one of those many things that I, I didn't realise that I knew as well as I did until I started talking about it, and then suddenly yeah. realised I actually knew like a, a ton more than I'd consciously been aware of about the films.
2: It, it is one of those franchises, really, isn't it? Yeah, do you want to, um, do you want to just share a little bit about um, where we can find you online, um, your Zero Geek website, maybe?
3: Yeah, so it's um, at Zero underscore Geek on um, Twitter. It's just me rambling about um, video games and stuff, and also you can get Zero Geek on um, Facebook. It, the updates are perhaps not as regular as I'd like them to be at the moment, but I'm in the works of um, putting together a proper blog and a website so I can sh- voice my um, various opinions about the state of play on gamings and things. As anyone who's been listening to me over this can probably imagine I will be kind of rambling on all kinds of things at, at various lengths, but I'm always very interesting, and if nothing else, then I, you know, just try to say something different to what everyone else has been saying, hence me being the guy tonight putting my hand up and saying Terminator Salvation is actually an alright movie, you guys, maybe you should go and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Whether anyone listens to me or not is another story, but uh, you we all your see head them there. You the
2: parapet there, you did, yeah, brave. Do check out Zero Geek, it's a, it's a great website, there's some really good articles, it's sporadic, but it's some really good articles when, when Lee gets the time, so do check it out. As for um, Black Hole Cinema, obviously you can find us on Twitter at Black Hole Cinema, as ever um, I have just today launched the, um, the, the blog, the accompanying blog, which is long in the making, this is called Black Hole Online, which will basically involve features, news uh, reviews of the films I watch and hopefully it will be uh, co-curated by um, some of my other uh, hosts and guests um, it's an open invitation for anyone who's appeared on Black Hole Cinema to to write some articles and some reviews and things like that so hopefully we'll get a bit of content on there pretty fast so um, keep an eye out for for that it's um, currently um, you can find it at www.blackholeonline.wordpress.com and eventually it will get its own domain so it's early days but um, it'll be nice to get that on there so yeah we'll be back next week in which uh, Dan Taylor will be back hosting um, with a few guests to um, talk about the potentially divisive Ted 2. So, yeah, it's goodbye from Lee. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. See you later. (laughs)
1: I'll be back